0: Open your Bible with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28. Matthew 28. I had the great privilege of growing up in a Christian home. I was raised in a Southern Baptist church that believed in the Gospel of Jesus Christ as the only hope of salvation and the importance of spreading the good news of Jesus to the nations of the world. One of my earliest memories in life is sitting in this little stinky classroom draped in an oversized white t-shirt, and across the front of it were these blue letters that said Mission Friends. And behind those words was a baby blue portrait of the globe. Mission Friends was this curriculum that was um, aimed to teach children about Global missions. It was there that I learned about William Carey and Adoniram Judson, these missionaries who went overseas, and Lottie Moon and Annie Armstrong, and people serving on the field right then in uh, the mid-80s. Also, missionaries would come to our church with these amazing stories from the mission field, and I loved it when they came. This was before the days of video LED or CD or 10K or whatever it is these days, before those video walls existed. Guys, this was even before the days of the overhead projector. I'm that old. Ask your grandparents about what those are. But they would bring these um, magical carousel slide projectors. These circular things that held these glass inserts, and they were heated by this heat lamp that was like hotter than the Texas sun, and it would do its very best to just shine these images, uh, telling the story of what God was doing around the world. They told stories of people from foreign countries coming to faith in Christ, churches being planted. I grew to love the advancement of the gospel in the nations. I understood international missions, and that by sending missionaries, even our little church in a little town was a part of uh, this massive mandate to fulfill Christ's mission, as Luther would call it, to noise the gospel abroad. But it wasn't until later that I came to see that every person who has been saved by Christ has also been sent by Christ to participate in the work of making disciples of all nations. It took a while for that to all connect for me. And so what I want to do, what I hope to do this morning by the power of God's Word, is to explore the mission of the church and see this supernatural mission is not only given to super-Christians and missionaries and church planters in faraway places... It's not given to some of God's people out there, but to all of God's people everywhere. That's who's been entrusted with the Great Commission. So last week we began learning what it means for us as a church to have been sent together on mission. I pointed out how important this season is for us as a young church, how important this moment is for us. And so before we discuss any of the activity of the church, I wanted us to have a firm grasp on why the church exists. And there we said that the chief end of the church was to glorify God by enjoying Him forever together. And so that sentiment is also where our church mission statement begins. We exist to glorify God. So don't forget that as we continue to move forward. Now, we're building each week. And even today, you're going to leave with questions that I don't get to. Because we're just going piece by piece. Today, with our hearts still fixed on enjoying Christ and glorifying Him as a church, let's look at the next few words of, of our mission statement and then our text. We exist to glorify God by making disciples. So you need to know, if you're new to the trails, we're really passionate about that. We're really committed to that, to glorifying God by making disciples, to build deep disciples. And there are many other things that the church does and other things that Christians are called to do individually. Those things are countless. All of life is a theater to bring glory to God. But the primary activity of us together of the church. Our identity as we glorify God is to make disciples. And so in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Jesus gives the church her mission, to go and make disciples of all nations. With these words, Christ's church is sent to bring the good news of Christ to the ends of the earth. And this mission is wide in its reach, all nations, and it's deep in its depth to make disciples. And with it is also given this measure of great joy and urgent seriousness. The Great Commission is not meant to be something that some Christians are called to help fulfill, but for all God's people to participate in. To say it differently, every Christian is called to be a disciple-maker. So a couple of weeks ago, we briefly explored these words of Christ. I'm noticing on my my Bible, this page has been come to so many times, it just wants to stand up on its own. Maybe yours looks like that now too, Um, as we're back in Matthew once again. But it is so important for us to understand what the mission of the church is as we blaze forward together. I want to walk through these four verbs, thinking together about what we are called to do As a church for the mission, these verbs are very simple, and I've kept the points very simple because I don't want us to miss the simplicity and beauty of this. One, make disciples, verse 19. Two, go, also verse 19. Three, baptize, still verse 19. And four, teach, verse 20. Let me invite you to stand to your feet. And I know our text is just 19 and 20, but I just want to back up a little bit and begin reading in verse 18. Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28. We'll be reading verses 18 through 20. This is God's holy and inerrant word. And Jesus said, Oh, Jesus came and said to them, grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Would you please be seated? All right, verb one, make disciples. The primary mission of the church throughout the ages, all peoples, all places, is to make disciples. Now, these final words of Jesus, spoken to his people, contain only one imperative verb. That's been a while since 10th grade English, probably for some of us. An imperative is a command. It's an imperative, a commanding verb in the original language. Make disciples. So let's define our terms. What is a disciple? I've been thinking about this all week. We might say he's a follower, she's a learner, and those are good and right. But I I just wanted something a little more precise and a little more holistic as we think about what a disciple is. So here's this week's definition. And hold anything a preacher says like that up. the Word of God. A disciple is someone who knows, loves, and follows Jesus. A disciple is someone who knows, loves, and follows Jesus. And so with these parting words from our Lord, he's sending his church to go and replicate themselves, to reproduce themselves. There are two uh, pastors, scholars that I know and love named Kevin DeYoung and Greg Gilbert. and um, they, they wrote a book maybe a decade ago now in which they, they defined the mission of the church in this very helpful way. This is what they write. The mission of the church is to go into the world and make disciples by declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ in the power of the Spirit and gathering these disciples into churches That they might worship the Lord and obey his commands now and in eternity to the glory of God the Father. What a helpful definition. Articulating clearly the focus and, and the power and the aid of God in every single act of the church. The great aim being to the glory of God, which we looked at last week. When the disciples heard the marching orders from Christ, this was not any new idea to them. As these first fishermen were called to be followers, back in Matthew chapter 4, 19, Jesus said, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And so now in 28:19, he concludes his time on earth, still with his disciples, with an echo of that same call. Go and make disciples. So follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Now go and make disciples. Here the idea of them being fishers of men and called to make disciples really start to blossom. This is what they're to be about. Following Christ, making disciples. And So we must first ask, has Christ also called us to the same work that he called the disciples to these many years ago? Yes, he commissioned those first 11 disciples in a representative way. And now he commissions his people to continue in this work until the day that he returns. See verse 20. So let's clarify. Who is called, who is qualified to make disciples? All of Christ's disciples. You. You are called and qualified to do If you're in Christ, you're part of this work. And I think, I think some of what may keep us from, from initiating and in wanting to disciple others is that we're afraid we might not know the answers or we, we might not have seen that modeled well for us. We're unsure where to start. So I love how our friend Mark Dever tries to demystify the task of Making disciples. He says, Discipling others is simply helping others follow Jesus. You hear how simple that is? Helping others follow Jesus. So, who can do that? Anyone who is following Jesus can help another person follow Jesus. The aim was never for us to have all the answers, but to point one another. To the one who does, to point each other to Christ. And so I really want us to feel the force of this. Not as individual Christians. God didn't save you so He would place you on your own till He returned. No, He saved you and placed you in His family to be a part of His church to build up the body of Christ. And we're not meant to do this alone. Part of what makes disciple making so fearful is we think we've got to do this on our own. That's nowhere in the Bible. This is a community project. We do this together, and it's gonna take all of us. It's the question I want us to keep asking. How is my life being invested in the work of making disciples? How's my life right now being invested in the work of making disciples? That's the first verb. This is what the church is called to do, to make disciples. So after establishing the main idea of this great commission, these next three verbs answer the question, how? How do we make disciples? And the first answer is to go. G-O. Go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. So as he sends them, Jesus reminds them of his identity. Back in verse 18, he says... All authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. This doesn't mean that before the incarnation, Jesus didn't have all authority, or in his time on earth, he wasn't operating in his authority as God. But now that he's conquered death and sin and Satan, he is the one through whom God will mediate all of his authority with creation, with all mankind. Let me paraphrase what Jesus is saying. This is my own language. Uh, With, I'm borrowing words from Abraham Kuyper, but so it's not my own language. But I just feel like I need full disclosure. Back to the point. Here's what Jesus is saying: Because I have authority over every square inch of this world, I am sending you to every square inch of this world to make disciples. That's what he's saying. Because I have authority over every square inch of this world, I'm sending you to every square inch of this world to make disciples so that Jesus will be known and loved and worshipped. So in the same sense that Jesus oriented his life, his entire life, leaving the glory of heaven to save sinners through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, now His people are to orient our lives around the task of proclaiming the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ to every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. The heartbeat of Jesus is a mission to go. We are a sent people. Ambassadors of Christ. A a Christian by definition, is a person who has been saved by Christ. But a Christian, by commission, is a person who has been sent by Christ. Let me just repeat that. A Christian, by definition, is a person who has been saved by Christ. A Christian, by commission, is a person who has been sent by Christ. So you and I were brought to Christ in the filth of our sin, as he held his arms open wide and welcomed us, come unto me. Now that we have tasted and seen the salvation of God, the goodness of Christ, we are told to go and tell that goodness, that message, that salvation to everyone, everywhere. The force of this command isn't some people somewhere, all of God's people Everywhere. And so the question is not, am I called to go? The question is, who has God sent you to? That's the question. I thought a lot about that question this week. Mostly I thought about it grammatically. Who has God sent you to? Or is it, to whom has God sent you? However, you want to say that, the point sticks. It's not, am I called to go? The question is, who has God sent you to? Each of us have been sent into this world as ambassadors of the King to proclaim the good news of Jesus, and to call others to join us in being transformed in the image of Jesus through this process of lifelong discipleship. God has sent some of you to global countries with global reach, and you're in rooms that you never thought you would stand in. Do you know why? So that God would be glorified and so that his mission would advance in the world. God has sent some to neighborhoods to carry the light of Christ into the darkness of that street. you know why? So that God would be glorified and so that the mission of Christ would advance in the world. Others have been sent to the mission field of your own house to proclaim day by day the gospel of Jesus Christ to your spouse and to your children. Do you know why? So that Christ would be glorified and his mission would advance. The call is to live as a sent people with this missionary mindset right now, right here. So who are you sent to? Right now in your life, who has God sent you to as a mouthpiece of the gospel, as a megaphone of the gospel? And in what ways are you lovingly and patiently sharing the gospel of grace poured out in Christ? We are a sent people. And Christ has already gone before us. The next verb we get to is the verb baptize. Verse 19. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We have no knowledge of a time when the church was without baptism or unsure about the role of baptism in the life of a disciple of Jesus. A person was baptized to publicly demonstrate that they had believed on the Lord Jesus as their Savior. They were a follower of Christ. That's why we baptize people. But when? When did their hearts come to believe in Christ as Savior? When did they come to believe in What I want us to see is that the Great Commission comes with great expectations that as the people of God proclaim the good news of the gospel in the world, that God will save people by his gospel. God will save. Now, if going and proclaiming is what we are sent to do, and we understand baptism is something that comes after people have trusted in Christ, what does that leave? A massive supernatural middle event that happens between proclamation of the gospel and baptism. And that event is known as salvation. And who does that? God. God saves from first to last. Now, I realize that we may all have this neat and tidy in our minds, but for the sake of of over-explaining... Let me just say it again that we are not commanded to go and save anyone. We are wholly incapable of saving anyone. Jesus did not die on the cross to make you the Savior of mankind. He died on the cross because He is the Savior of mankind. Christ has saved. We've not been commissioned to save, but to proclaim Christ who saves. And what confidence do we have from Scripture that Christ is a sufficient Savior? The New Testament is replete with illustrations of this. I, I've just got a couple from different letters. John six thirty seven, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. John 10, 27, 28, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. How does he do this? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 tells us, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. That faith that you believe with, even that's not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast but praise the glorious salvation and the grace of Jesus Christ. So where does baptism fit into this? Well, Acts 2 contains the first sermon preached in the New Testament after Jesus had ascended to be with the Father. Luke records that sermon for us. And at the end of Peter's sermon, which you should read this week, it's just stunning. At the end of the sermon, Luke says that people were cut to the heart by the gospel. That's what it did. It exposed the need of the heart, which is forgiveness and to be made right with God. That the power of the gospel did that. We're going to look at that next week. The gospel exposed, the Holy Spirit convicts of sin. Draws to Christ. And th- these, these people say, what shall we do in hearing the good news of the gospel? And Peter replies, repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. That's what they were told. Upon repenting of their sin, trusting Christ in their, as their Savior, they're to be baptized. And so as we go and proclaim the good news of Jesus, Christ will save all who are his And as they repent of sin and profess faith in Christ, then we baptize them into the local church. Bobby Jameson explains the role of baptism. He says, Baptism is not merely an individual ordinance, but a badge of belonging. Baptism, a badge of belonging. It identifies someone as a Christian before the church and the whole world. Baptism is nothing less than the church's formal public endorsement of someone's claim to be a Christian. That's what baptism is the church's formal public announcement of someone's claim to be a Christian. As a member of the Trails Church, you have the joy of being a part of that. When we baptize a person, you're a part of that. On May 23rd, we'll have our spring picnic at Old Salina Park. And We'll have one service at 10.30. As a part of that service, we'll celebrate baptisms. And when we do, I want you to just just tuck this away in your thoughts, because I don't want you to miss this. While it's the elders of our church who will do the baptizing of people, it's the entire church gathered together that is fulfilling the Great Commission. We're all a part of this together. It's the church that's speaking. So in baptism, yes, we've been taught it's the person speaking, identifying with Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection, raised to walk in newness of life, and that is beautiful and true. The person is speaking, but also the church speaks, affirming the witness of this person being brought forth to be baptized through this Beautiful ordinance that God has given to His church that signifies with water the inward reality that we've been baptized in one baptism, Paul says, in the Spirit of God. And so we baptize together as a church. And in doing so, make this connection, we are fulfilling the Great Commission. Not for other people out there, for all people everywhere. The final verb summarizes how disciples are made. The church is called to teach. To teach. Jesus doesn't leave us to guess what the curriculum will be in this course. He tells us to teach all I have commanded you. The disciples had walked with Jesus. They had heard the way that he taught truth. Now they are to go and teach others about this king and this kingdom. And we aren't given the flexibility to pick and choose which sayings of Jesus we want to teach or to edit the teachings of Christ to fit our culture. We're told to teach all that Christ commanded, which is why we are committed to teaching the whole Bible, why we're committed to expositional preaching, where the point of that text better be the point of the sermon, why we preach through, just straight through books of the Bible, Sometimes for a long time. Why? Because we believe all Scripture is breathed out by God. And is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So that every disciple, every disciple might be complete, equipped for every good work. When we gather week by week for corporate worship and we open God's word, we're a part of fulfilling the Great Commission. Do you know that? That's what we're doing, even right now. Look at this. God's word open in the midst of his people. It's being taught. And this guy up here teaching is learning more than anybody. We're being taught. We learn to know Christ personally, But we learn to teach Christ personally. That's got to be in order. We don't learn things to teach them as a first pursuit. We learn to know Christ personally. And then we learn to teach Christ personally. I love how David Platt explains this twin goal. He he says, how do we listen in such a way we're not just receiving, but we can also reproduce it? For some of us, that's really hard. I have to read the same page two or three times sometimes so that I can get it, much less reproduce it. So how do we listen in such a way we're not just receiving, but we can also reproduce it? How can we say, everything I'm learning about the Word isn't just intended for me, but it's to be passed on through me to other people who I can help grow in Christ. There are people in your families, people in your workplace, in your neighborhood, even people in this church who need your help that they would grow in Christ. Disciple-making means not letting the word stop with us, but letting it spread through us. That's what disciple-making is. Not letting the word of Christ stop with us, but us being channels to other people to help them also grow in Christ. Now, look, churches with cultures like ours, teaching is not a foreign concept. We get this. We love the teaching of God's word because we love God's word and the Christ we see in it. But not all will preach, not all will lead community groups or teach equipped classes, but that is not the only environment of teaching in this church or any church. You might say that the entire church community is the environment of teaching. We are learning worshipers. This is a community of learning, disciple-making worshipers. And this is the way it was designed. A couple of weeks ago we talked about uh, that word go. And Jesus, the, the, the general sense of it is as you go, as you live your life, as you're going about your life, be about the work of disciple making as you work and play. And I just want to make this connection how reminiscent that is of the great commandment given in Deuteronomy chapter 6 love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. And then Moses says, as you, as you go, As you go about your life, talk about the things of the Lord. So, as you go, make disciples. Jesus says, as you go about loving the Lord your God, be talking about him in your homes and your workplaces, everywhere you go in life. And so, are you teaching as you go? Are you teaching as you go? Let me ask it a different way. Who are you discipling? Did that just make it intimidating? Because they're like, just who are you helping? Who are you teaching along the way? That, that's not scary. But then we just changed one word, discipling. And I want us to make sure we see these, remember discipling, just helping others follow Jesus. Who can do that? Anyone who's following Jesus. So let me just ask, in our church family, who is discipling you? And who are you discipling? Who's discipling you and who are you discipling? Can I just demystify that a little more? I'll start with who's discipling me? Uh, Jim Bridges, Mike Lamb, Aaron Teague, Michael Fita, Russ Kennedy. I'm learning to follow Christ through those guys. And who am I discipling? Jim Bridges, Mike Lamb, Aaron Teague, Russ Kennedy, Michael Fita. And that's how it's meant to work, you see. You know who disciples me more than anybody in this world? This redheaded girl on the on the back row back there. <laughs> and those four blonde kids sitting next to her. Who disciples me? Those people. Who disciples them? I'm thankful it's me. So, it's not that hard, is it? The same thing you see in the microcosm of your home. We have this beautiful home called the Trails Church. We don't have a building. We don't need a building. We have a family. We are a people. So, what is the chief end of the church? To glorify God by enjoying Him forever, together. What is the mission of the church? To go to every square inch of this world. Proclaim Christ, who is the king of every square inch of this world. The mission is not for a select few, but for all God's people. To baptize, to teach, to go, to invest. I pray that in future years that our church is filled with stories of what God's doing all over the world. I even hope we can find one of those carousel slide projectors. But I pray that from within this family that God writes story after story of his great grace toward us. And that from this little church we send people to every tribe, tongue, and nation. Because we believe that we are a part of the great commission. To go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Not for other people in other places. For all God's people everywhere. Let's pray for his help. Jesus, it's uh, a massive task that you've left us with, and I thank you, as we'll see in weeks to come, that we're not responsible for it, ultimately, that you are the one who is the missionary God who has come to save, and bring salvation, to make disciples, to transform us from one image of glory to another. I thank you for your work in us. Let us feel both the incredible joy and the urgent seriousness of the mission you've called us to. That we wouldn't sit on the bench when you've put us in the game. We wouldn't hang back when you've called us to advance. So Give us courage in our fear. Give us trust in our doubt. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, with gospel courage to advance in this world as your church for your glory. We pray in Christ's name.